Uh, and now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by one of our middle school students who is about to head off to camp, Maya. Today I will be reading from Acts 6, 1 through 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and the large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you here today. My name is Ryan, for those of you that I may not know, and we are going to be primarily camped out in Acts chapter 6, those seven verses that Maya read for us. But before we get to that, um, I just want to brag for just a moment. Is that okay? Great. It's going to happen anyway, so um, appreciate that. Uh, so for, I'm going on year 10 of coaching freshman soccer at uh, Whitney High School out in Rockland. And uh, I, I love soccer. I love the game. I love getting to work with the students there. Um, and, and I love the, the program that has been built at Whitney. And actually, uh, this last week, we were uh, voted as the, we won the award for the um, Cal High Sports Division II School of the Year for athletics. So um, yeah, kind of a big deal. I take about 99% credit for all that has happened. Um, but uh, but it's, you know, it's fun to be a part of this, this great program, and we're the first program in the Sac Joaquin section to win this award for uh, the Division II. And it, it goes across all of our athletic, um, our athletic department. Every sport is kind of counted and calculated. Um, realistically, though, I, I coach freshmen, I said that, and so my accomplishments and losses don't count at all towards this equation. Um, However, that being said, one of the reasons that I have stayed at the school for as long as I have and, and just love doing this is because when I got there, it was very clear from the athletic director in, in that department that uh, they had a belief that every person mattered, that every team mattered. And this wasn't just about one superstar team, one superstar player, but it was about an entire program. And that certainly is true of the, the men's soccer program there. I work for a varsity coach who is just an incredible godly man, um, but he has that belief that, that that we are an entire program. It's not just these three divided teams, um, but we have one team. We are Whitney High School soccer program, and, and every player, every coach matters. As a matter of fact, at my house, I have a uh, Sac Joaquin section uh, a championship hat that, that I got to have, not because I was really there as a coach, although I, I call myself an assistant on the varsity team when they hit playoffs, um, but mostly I just go and high-five them when they come off the field. And, uh, but, 
But it's because really for our varsity coach, he made sure that every head coach in his program, every assistant coach in his program got a championship hat because he wanted to emphasize that you matter and what you do with the freshman team, what you do with the JV team, what we do with the varsity team, it all is adding up to one program's success. And we don't have success if you're not doing what you do well and having success where you're having it. And so he wanted to make sure that everyone was valued. He'll even get on and text coaches who are no longer part of the program that were part of the program earlier and say, hey, this is still a part of your success. He invites them back to come and participate and to view what's happening just because he wants to celebrate with them because everyone matters. Now, I've been around sports for a long time. I love sports, and I've seen a lot of great teams. And sometimes people think that the way to build a great team is just to have one or two superstar players, and that will lead you to success. And the reality is that the most successful organizations, the most successful teams are the ones who have this mentality ingrained in them that every person matters. It's not just a statement for them, but it's something they really believe. And we're not just talking about every player from starter to the furthest guy down on the bench, but we're talking about every coach, every manager, every ticket salesman, every kit person, like every uh, uh, vendor that is there, like all of them have a role to play in building the team's success. And so the most successful organizations are the ones that from top down say, yes, everyone has a role to play and every role is important. And that is true in sports, that is true in business, and that is certainly true in the church as well. That what we need to be about is to realize that everyone has a role to play and every role is important. Therefore, every person is important. Every person matters. But so often in the church, especially in, in the Western American church, we have sort of this superstar mentality that there are our varsity players and then we're here on the bench or we're here watching. Maybe one day we'll get to that point. Maybe one day we'll be able to have an impact, but I don't have that giftedness and therefore I don't matter as much as that person does. But that's just not true. First of all, we're not supposed to be looking around at one another. There's one person we're supposed to look at and that's the person of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he left behind his church to carry on his work. And he didn't look at his church and say, hey, uh, that one person right there, you are the most important person here and everyone else is gonna look to you and they're really just gonna kind of serve you and listen to you and follow you um, and, and that's all it's gonna be about. No, he looked at all those who had been with him, all those who had gathered with him, all those who had learned from him and he said, you are going to carry on the work that I have started. And all of you are gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit and will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what's really interesting is we read through the book of Acts, what we see is that we see all, all these people who became believers, who accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, who put their faith and their trust in him. And almost always right after it says they, they, they added new believers, they added more to the church, it tells us they were filled with the Holy Spirit that these new believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a reminder to us over and over and over again that it is the same God at work in each and every one of us. It's the same God at work here now today that it was 2,000 years ago in the apostles. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul, he would say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says in verses four through six, he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So Paul acknowledges that there's going to be differences. He says there are different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of service. There are different kinds of working. 
But in all of that, he says there's something that unites us. There's something that is the same, and that is who God is. It is the same God, it is the same Lord, it is the same Holy Spirit that indwells in each and every one of us. And we talked a little bit about this last week, but I'm always just so amazed at looking at what the apostles do in the book of Acts and what the early church did. And then I'm just filled with awe and wonder at knowing that the same spirit that indwelt them, the same spirit that was moving powerfully in in the church 2,000 years ago, is the same spirit that indwells me, that indwells us as a church here, that, that is working at Christ Community Church here in Carmichael in 2023. What an incredible gift, an incredible blessing that is. And there's no separation amongst the room. There's not any one person that that has a different spirit than anyone else. If we are followers of Christ, we have the same spirit. And so the same spirit that's in me is the same spirit that's in you, is the same spirit that's in our middle school students in the tent right now, is the same spirit that's in our elementary school kids in, in the other building. The same spirit is moving and leading and guiding each and every one of us. And so it just requires us submitting to him and listening to him, discovering our giftedness, understanding the role he has for us and the purpose he has for us, and being willing to say, yes, God, I will go where you call me to go. I will do what you've called me to do. And that's what the early church was doing. They realized that we are here to follow Jesus, and we are here to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's going to empower us and strengthen us, and he's the one that's going to lead the way, and we're just submitting to him. And so in doing so, the church began to increase rapidly. And as it began to increase, I'm sure there was a lot of celebration and joy in that. But when we come to Acts chapter 6, we find that there's a little bit of controversy, which I know what you're thinking, that's impossible. Controversy never happens in the church. But I do want to actually speak to that for just a moment because so often um, I've heard this many times and, and, and even somewhat have experienced this for myself. People come into the church and they come in expecting to meet Jesus. And they come in expecting that God's people are a perfect reflection of Jesus. And so, so often people come and they say, I understand who Jesus is and I understand his love and his truth and his grace and, 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 and just who he is. And they expect that in each and every one of us. And that's a fair expectation, but it's also an unrealistic expectation. Because we as the church are a messy bunch of of broken, sinful, flawed people that are being sanctified over time through the reading of the word, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They're working on this together in community. And so the reality is that the church is a messy place many times and that we're not going to get this right. We're going to let one another down. And if our hope is in one another, if our hope is in the people, then we're always going to be let down. And so that's why I want to, well, first apologize on behalf of the church because I know that I've experienced this. I know that I've been a part of this to say, yes, the church is imperfect and we fail and, and, and we sin and, and we hurt people. And while that isn't most people's intention, it does happen in the church. And sometimes the wounds in the church feel greater because the expectations are higher. And so I just want to say, I'm sorry if that is your story, that is your experience And I hope that what you will do is give the church a second chance, but also I hope what you understand is that while the church is imperfect, Christ is perfect. And and so the goal is not to focus on who is preaching, but on what is being preached about, on who is being preached about. The goal is not to focus on who is leading us in worship, but on who we are worshiping. 
And so understanding that, yes, leaders are going to fail, people are going to fail, but God never does. And so we want to keep our eyes focused on him. And so that's what I think was happening in the church and how they kind of handle this controversy. Uh, So here's what happens in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It tells us this. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So... The church is growing, and that's exciting, but in growing, there there are two groups of people who are gathered together in the church in Jerusalem, and so these are both Christians, but you have the Hebraic Jews. Those are those who, uh, the Jewish people who grew up in Jerusalem, who have always lived in Jerusalem, who understand the cultures, the language, and the practices of Jerusalem, and then there's the Hellenistic Jews. They are are Jewish by heritage, but for one reason or another, many Jews had left Jerusalem. Many were exiled in the Assyrian exile or the Babylonian exile. And so they grew up in Greek-speaking different cultures, different practices that they learned, different places, different cultures, different locations than these Hebraic Jews who grew up in Jerusalem. But many of the Hellenistic Jews wanted to return to Jerusalem near the end of their lives. And one of the reasons for that was that there was a belief that it was more honorable to be buried in Jerusalem than to be buried anywhere else. And so many came at the end of their lives ready, to, to, um, to, uh, ready for death to come and, and knowing that when that happened, they might leave behind uh, their spouse. And so there are many widows who are part of this Hellenistic Jewish Christian group who are feeling like they're being neglected whether that is a a racial issue, whether that's a segregation issue, it's just an oversight, whether it's true or not, uh, that doesn't really clarify what the, why this is happening, but it just tells us that here is a group who are feeling left out. Now, this is something that the church is supposed to do well. And again, we see a place where the church may not be doing things perfectly because all throughout scripture, it tells us to care for the least of these. And in this society, widows and orphans were the least of these. They were the, most, they were the most vulnerable people in society because all the power, all the authority, all the business all happened with the men. And so when the father or the husband was gone, you were left with people who were, who were in need, who were vulnerable, who were dependent on places like the church to take care of them and provide for them. As a matter of fact, in James chapter one, just to give you an idea of a, a reminder of what we are supposed to be about, verse 27, he says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so James speaks something, and this was after this moment here, but James speaks something that was true of the church, that orphans and widows, the least of these, need to be taken care of. The church has a responsibility to serve those in need, to love those around them to care for those who who are not being cared for. And so the church was meeting this need to a degree, but apparently wasn't doing it well enough. And so you have this conflict that comes before the apostles, and they really had many options of how to handle this. They could have ignored it. They could have focused on the celebration. Hey, the church is growing. Like, let's just celebrate that. And as long as the church is growing, we're not going to worry about changing anything or doing anything differently. They could have said, we're too busy. They could have just decided, hey, why don't you just blend in with everyone else and and, and just act like Hebraic Jews and and stop seeing differences? But no, instead, they they take this need seriously. So it tells us that the 12, in verse 2, it says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together. 
and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, let me pause here really quickly because what they're not saying is that waiting on tables or in this case, caring for the widows is not important. They're not saying this is beneath us, that this is a job that we are just too good for. No, what we're going to see is that they're going to look for wise, godly people who can step in and, and, and meet these needs. What they're saying is we know what we've been called to do, and we can't neglect God's call on our lives. We can't neglect what God has equipped us for. And so we need to keep doing the ministry that God has uniquely equipped and gifted us for. And we need to find some brothers and sisters who can step in and fill these other needs. Because we have some people who are gifted for this. We just have to find them, equip them, empower them, and, and send them into serving in these areas. And so they're really just saying we need to know what our gifts are and live into our gifting. Not to say these things can be ignored, but if there's people in the church who can meet those needs, then that's what we need to do. We need to find those people who have that gifting, who can meet those needs, so that the other needs can be met too. They're saying we're not going to sacrifice one for the other. That's the whole point that they're trying to make. And so they tell us in verse 3, it says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be, listen to this, full of the spirit and wisdom. Now remember those, those, those words, full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so the apostles gather and they take this concern seriously and they say, we see a need, the need needs to be met, and the way that we're going to meet that need is by helping others to discover their giftedness and showing everyone that everyone has a role to play and having others step into the role that God has equipped and gifted them for. And so what they're really trying to do is they're saying, we want to use all the gifts that exist in the church. So how do we as a church here at Christ Community, how do we do this today? If we're going to be the church, how do we use all the gifts in the church? Well, it gives three things that I think we can see in Scripture that I think we can live out as well. Number one is this, is that we need to pursue unity. We need to pursue unity. Again, this is not unity for unity's sake. And this is not unity based on some earthly model of unity. In other words, we're not looking at some outward appearance or some culture or some practice that exists here and saying, hey, we're going to be unified by this. But we're saying we're pursuing unity in Jesus Christ that he is the one who brings us together. And if our eyes are focused on him, and we're all pursuing him, then as we pursue him together, we will be brought together in unity as well. See, again, the apostles could have easily made this a, a division of, of races and said, well, hey, listen, you have moved into Jerusalem. You've moved into this place where the Hebraic Jews are. So you need to kind of conform and become like them. And then there will be no differences. We'll be perfectly unified. But that wasn't honest, and that wasn't the unity that God wants us to achieve. He says, no, it's okay to be different, but we put the thing that brings us together ahead of the things that make us different. And so unity is about everyone stepping up and saying, hey, we are all in this together. So the apostles, they were in this because they didn't ignore the complaint. Again, they could have celebrated the victories of the church growing. They could have said, hey, this is really not our job, our responsibility. Just figure it out on your own. But no, instead, they gathered people together. They used their leadership position to bring people together and to say, yes, this is a need and something needs to be done about it. So let us help you equip people and train people and prepare people 
so that they can do this work, but we need to keep doing the thing that we are equipped and prepared to do. And on the other side, you have the Hellenistic Jews who had this complaint, but they didn't just present a complaint, they didn't just present a problem, they also were willing to be a part of the solution. And so that's what unity is. It's both sides working together to pursue Christ, to say, yeah, we got some differences, we got some conflict, but let's meet in the middle and and let's figure this out. And and both sides need to work to make the, to, 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 to serve the other side, to love the other side. And so with that, the second thing that we need to have is we need to have a servant's heart. We need to have a servant's heart. The apostles weren't in it for their own glory, they were in it for the glory of God. Our goal, our purpose, our mission is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So it's not about making us great, it's about making him great. And in doing that, it means we are discovering our gifts and our talents. We're not diminishing our gifts, we're not diminishing the gifts of others, but we are saying no, everyone has a role to play. Every follower of Christ matters to the kingdom of God. Every follower of Christ matters to God. And every follower of Christ has a role to play in building the church and building his kingdom. And so we want to help people discover those gifts. We want to discover our own gifts and use them with a servant's heart, saying it's not about me, it's about Christ. I'm not asking what's in it for me. I'm asking how I can serve Jesus. And that's what the people did. And verse 6 tells us this. It says, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Also, Philip. Now, remember those two names because the next two weeks we're going to be talking about Stephen and Philip over these next couple chapters. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so here's what happens. They pick these seven men, and there's three things that make these seven men unique and that bring these seven men together. We saw earlier in verse 4, they were looking for men filled with the Holy Spirit. These men are filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen even gets a special mention that he is a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Scripture wants us to recognize, Luke wants us to recognize as he's writing this, that these are not just sub-Christians. These are not Christians who are not there yet. No, these are Christians who are gifted, who are filled with the same spirit that the apostles were filled with. They just have a different role to play. They're not less than, they're not filling a lesser role They're filling a very important, practical, powerful role that needs to be met. They're using the gifts that God has given to them, which are not less than the gifts of the apostles. These are men filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're also filled with wisdom. They need wisdom because when you step into a serving ministry, when you have serving gifts, you tend to become the front face of the church. I mean, you think about the church, and we, we have worship, and we have the preaching, and, and we have all the things that happen here on stage. But before anyone even walks through those doors, they encounter our campus hosts, our welcome center uh, people, our, our, um, our, our greeters. Like, those are the first people they encounter. And so if you are one of those people, like, thank God for you. Because you really are, are, are the face of the church, the heartbeat of the church, because people are going to come, and their first experience of church, and sometimes their first experience of Jesus, is going to be those people. And so we're not like, well, you're not quite as talented as the preacher, so just go ahead and be a welcome, welcome host. 
No, we're saying, are you someone who is filled with the Spirit, who loves people, who loves God, who when people come to you and ask questions about the church, you have wisdom to answer questions about the church, but as you're walking them to the children's ministry, they might even ask you a question about faith, and you are prepared to answer their question or to direct them to the person who has an answer for their question. If you are stepping into a serving ministry and you are going and serving widows, you're serving orphans, there's a good chance that someone is going to ask you about your faith and you need to be prepared to have an answer. So these weren't the secondary Christians. They just had a different role to play. And we all have different and unique roles to play. And so we need to come with a servant's heart. There was a third thing that brought these men together. Um, They were all Hellenistic Jews. We know this because all of their names are Greek names and and rarely were Jewish men given Greek names. The only time that really would have happened is if they were Hellenistic Jews not born in Jerusalem. And so these seven men have Greek names. This is one of those spots where scripture is descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning this is not something that has to directly apply to every situation. In other words, not every ministry has to be led by someone who fits the exact mold of that ministry. An easy example, right, is Caden was up here talking about our our, our middle school students. Um, If we're looking for a middle school pastor, we're not like, well, we need a middle school student to go and be our middle school pastor. Right? Like that, that's not necessary. We have people who love our middle school students, who care for them, who are going to witness to them, be a light to them. Um, and, and so you, we can love all types of different people. We should love all types of different people. But in this particular case, this was a really powerful moment for the apostles to pick the, these, these Hellenistic Jews. Because what it's doing is it's saying, you matter. You have value. See, they came and said, hey, some of our people are not being served. And they said, not only are we going to make a space to serve them, but we're going to actually make a space for you to be serving as well. We're going to lift you up into roles of leadership to know that you are empowered and you are strengthened. And so this group that felt on the outs was suddenly leaders in the church and were brought into powerful positions. And what we're going to see is God is going to take these men and he's going to use them in powerful ways to carry the gospel further than it has gone before. See, primarily it's still hanging out in Jerusalem right now, and yet Jesus said it's going to go to the ends of the earth, and these men who are from the ends of the earth are going to begin to carry the gospel out to the ends of the earth in a way that the apostles hadn't even done yet. And so we're going to see that these men are, are, are seen, they're known, they're heard, and now they are lifted up into roles of leadership because God believes that every follower of Christ has a purpose and he has a plan for each and every one of us. And so that's what the scripture is showing us here. And so the third thing that we need to remember as we are trying to use all the gifts in the church is that we need to equip all Christians for leadership. We need to equip all Christians for leadership. Now, you might be sitting here and thinking, um, listen, I'm a Christian, but I am not a leader. Well, all Christians are leaders because we know the truth. We know that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that we are sinners who are saved by grace. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so we have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And there are people behind us, people all around us who don't know that truth. And so as Christians, We are called to lead people to the gospel message, to lead people to Christ, to show them who Jesus is, and to proclaim the gospel to as many people as we can. But we are also called, as we spend time with Christ, 
As we spend time being discipled and being equipped, we are called to disciple and equip other Christians for ministry and for leadership as well. And so if you are in here, and I'll just pick a a random number, right? If you have been a follower of Christ for three years, which is about the time the apostles followed Jesus for, then you should be prepared to lead others, to disciple others, to help others discover their gifts, and to point them to ministry as well. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't just be prepared for it, you should be doing it. All of us as followers of Christ, especially those who have have a few years of being discipled and learning the word of God, we should be finding others who are a little further behind in faith, whether that's looking for younger or or just newer, and finding them and, and doing deep discipleship with them. Not just the basics, although that's important, but really saying, hey, let's spend time reading the word of God and learning how to read the word of God so that you are equipped to do this on your own. Let's spend time talking about theology so we have a clear picture of who God really is. Let's spend time talking about your giftedness and how you can use your gifting in your areas of influence. This is what we are called to be about as Christians. We are called to serve in ministry, to partner with God in what he's doing, and to disciple other believers so that they can be prepared to serve and use their gifts as well. Everyone has a role to play. Listen, I, I have a dream and a vision to be a part of a church and that, that Christ Community Church can, can be this for the community and for the world, that, that we are a church that equips and trains pastors. I mean, all around me, I talk to, to other pastors who, who are looking at their churches and they're saying, hey, we have these gaps and we don't know where to turn. And they're doing these nationwide searches looking for children's pastors and worship pastors and um, senior pastors, care pastors, youth pastors. And what I'm thinking is we need to be better as a church about training and equipping people. And, and I want Christ Community Church to be the hub, to be the first call that every other church makes. That they say, hey, we need a youth pastor. You have anyone? We're like, yeah, we got like 50 people who are equipped and ready to go. Like we need to send some out. There's too many leaders in our church. Like our, our, our building is overflowing with leaders. So let's send them out so that they can multiply the influence and train up more leaders in other churches and other places. I think that that's what we can be. And I'm not just talking about pastors in title, but also pastors to our areas of influence. So we can be a church that builds up and trains business leaders and and, and politicians and first responders and and teachers and blue collar workers who love Jesus, who know their gifts and are using their gifting in their areas of influence to be a light and to proclaim Jesus all around the world. The only way the gospel is going to go forth in Carmichael and to the ends of the earth is if we equip Christians for leadership, we do deep discipleship with one another. We train those who are further behind so that they are equipped and prepared to do ministry. And then we keep repeating the process over and over and over again. So here's my challenge to you. Is if you're not mentoring someone, if you're not discipling someone, today is the day to start. Find a Christian brother or sister who is a little bit further behind in their faith walk than you are. Invite them to coffee, invite them to lunch. You don't have to say, hey, I'm gonna disciple you because sometimes people get a little bit weird about that, but just start doing it. It can be secret for a while and then eventually they'll catch on. But like start training people, start equipping people, spend a year dedicated to developing someone's faith, to helping their knowledge of the word and their knowledge of God. 
And at the end of a year, hopefully, they are ready to go and disciple others. And you encourage them, hey, go disciple one or two other people. And then you repeat the process. And now we have this multiplication effect happening in our church. See, when we pursue unity, when we have a servant's heart, when we equip all Christians for leadership, when we're using all the gifts and realizing that everyone has a role and everyone's stepping into their role, here's what happens. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So when the apostles were doing their job, when these seven men were doing their job, when every Christian was stepping into the role that God had for them, the word of God spread, and the church grew rapidly. It happened 2,000 years ago. It can happen again here, but we need to be the church that discovers our gifts and use our gifts and equips others to use their gifts as well. Everyone has a role. God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. And we need to step into that, not sometime in the future, but to understand God has placed us in our locations, in our places, in our families, in our businesses, in our areas of influence right now so that we can serve him in ministry today. There is no bench players. There is no one just watching. Every person matters because God has equipped each of us with the Holy Spirit to be witnesses here locally into the ends of the earth. Let's submit to the Spirit and go where he calls us to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, that you've equipped us with your Holy Spirit. That is not about how great and wonderful we are, but how great you are in us and through us. So God, I pray that we would submit to your leading and to your guidance. God, I pray that we would discover the gifts and the talents that you have given to us, and we would know how you want us to use those to serve you, to be a light for you, to be your witnesses here locally and to the ends of the earth. God, I pray that we at Christ Community Church would be a church that equips, a church that builds up, and a church that sends out pastors by title and pastors to their areas of influence. God, I pray that we would create deep disciples, fully committed followers who stop asking what's in it for me and just ask, how can I serve? God, let's have the same mindset as your son, Jesus, who came and said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Help us to have that mentality and that attitude. God, thank you for those who are already using their gifts and serving. Would you just encourage them, strengthen them, and continue to use them? And for those of us who haven't discovered that yet, haven't stepped into that area of faithfulness, God, would we be obedient to your call? God, thank you that you have equipped us in so many different ways. God, thank you for your son, Jesus, and the spirit that leads and guides us. We love you, Father, and praise things in your son's name. Amen.